We don't have to hang up. Oh, okay. That was that was just the close to the oh for the recording. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> Hi, Jess. <laughs> Hi, John. Uh, how's everything? Everything is very well over here. I'm currently in Raleigh, North Carolina. You're in Raleigh still? Yeah. Okay. I didn't I'm even realize. I'm still in Raleigh. Decided to change my flight. Nice. Okay. Obviously, I'm still here in Dublin. Just chilling, <laughs> you know. Obviously, this is our first like foray into podcasting, showing people some of the insights that we've developed over the last several years living abroad, moving around. So I thought we should start by telling people kind of who we are and where we're from, essentially. You yep. know what I mean? All right, so I guess I'll start. So I am from Long Beach, California, you know, Southern California. <laughs> yeah, the best. <laughs> yeah, so essentially my story, and as far as all of this goes, um, started in university when I went, moved to France, studied there for a year, it really like opened my eyes completely to the whole rest of the world. Do you know what I mean? Like I was studying, just kind of going through the motions back home, just complacent, going to stay in Los Angeles, get a job, studying business, going to go get some finance job. And then I went to study in France and it was like, oh, there are other ways to live. There are people that know a whole lot of things that I don't know. There are people doing a whole lot of weird, interesting things that I've never been exposed to. Um, and when I came back, it was so incredibly just the people were just a lot of the people were just mundane and boring. Um, mm. They weren't interested in growing and changing. You know what I mean? Like I, L.A. has that reputation of being shallow generally. But it's the kind of thing where I think the structure of the city and the lifestyle makes it really hard for people to grow and expose themselves to new things right. as much as they could in another place like New York or like Paris. And so I had to get out of there. So a couple years later, after I graduated and was thoroughly lost and frustrated, I really struggled to get a job at first. It was not the best economic time. And I realized there were a whole lot of things that I should have known and that I wanted to be able to do that I couldn't do. And so I spent the summer figuring out how to spend more of my time improving, figuring out how to read more, figuring out how to learn more, figuring out how to be more active, go out and meet new people. And it really changed the whole direction that I was going. And after doing that for about a year, I decided I just had to get out of the country again. I had to get away from LA. And so I applied to go work in South Korea and teach people English down there, um, you know? And so I got out there and that's when I met you. And obviously we got into all of our entrepreneurial stuff, all of our self-improvement stuff, language learning, everything else we did. And then, when we finished our year in Korea, I traveled for a little while in Southeast Asia, moved to China, taught business English out there. And after just under a year there, shipped out here to Ireland, trying to move on to the next stage of stuff. And yeah, that's pretty much my whole thing. But like, really, it's just like I'm here because I want to talk to you, Jess, um, because like I don't get to talk to you very much. I'm not very good at maintaining contact with people. And we always had such interesting and valuable conversations. One, I just want to record them so that I can listen to them again. And two, I think it's valuable to share them. Because not very many people have the level of experience that we have trying to establish ourselves in other countries, trying to improve, trying to actively take control of our lives and shape them the way we want to shape them. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I want to share that with people, hopefully meet some people in, this, in the process. 
Yeah, for sure. Okay, I guess it's my turn. I've been doing a lot of interviews, so this is very different than an interview pitch. I have to re recraft it. Um, so I'm Jess. I am from North Carolina. I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. I went to school out in UNC Wilmington on the coast of North Carolina. And then after school, I had a similar realization to John that I wanted to go somewhere totally different, do something different, kind of get away from the normal, at least North Carolina. My my goal was a little bit smaller because yes, I had gone to Australia as my study abroad for a semester, but it's English, it's a similar culture. I didn't have quite as much of a shock, but I was still open to the world. So I wanted to go somewhere different. I moved to DC. I was a faster pace, got a job there, did that for about three years and then realized I just need to leave the country altogether. And it, it was great. I learned a lot in that job, but applied and pretty much got promoted and quit to go teach English in South Korea. <laughs> but what led you to actually leave DC? Because you were doing pretty well. You were pretty successful. You were handling things well. You didn't have the kind of stuck in the mud realization that I did that I wasn't going the direction I needed to be going. I think it was that it was part of that realization, but it was different than I okay. was successful and I was doing well in this path of going into the public sector and being a consultant and continuing to do that path. But I realized that the mm -hmm. path I wanted to go down, and I didn't know this at the time, but potentially more education focused and definitely more food focused and it's even changed from then but at that point i was thinking wow the stuff that i'm doing now is food service but in a different angle and the the most enjoyment i get from my job is when i get to train people so i probably should be doing something that is more education and food aligned so i thought well how am i going to okay. get education experience if i don't figure out how to educate people so i decided to go teach because that's a good segue into it. Yeah, that so, makes sense. So yeah. that's how that happened. I realized I was doing well, but I wasn't going exactly the direction I wanted. But the problem was I didn't mm -hmm. know exactly what direction that was. So I could either stay and keep going in a direction I knew wasn't right or just totally change. And after Korea, we had all of our self-improvement and working on a lot of different things together. And that was awesome and kind of led me to realizing I want to learn more hands-on because it was really helpful to get the education experience. So I'd spent right. 10 months um, on organic farms throughout Southeast Asia, just learning about how the different farms are run. Yeah, which is incredible to me. <laughs> which, which led me into the new path that is more supply chain production process value chain, which I never thought I'd get into, but I still want to head the education angle, but totally different than where I thought. So now I'm in Miami. I'm in Raleigh now, but I'm in, I live in Miami and still I'm unemployed, but starting employment very soon with a small bakery where I'm going to be helping them get their products to market. It's pretty cool. It's, I mean, it's such a far cry from DC, what you were doing in Asia. So we've, we've gone all over and had very different um, experiences from, from, yeah. from starting in our home spots. It's been great, though. I will say to anybody that would even think about teaching, in terms of teaching abroad in particular, you learn a lot teaching people, trying to figure out how to formulate ideas and communicate ideas effectively. And then just being able to see blank stares when people don't get them, like it, it does. It's it does train you in how to present in front of people all the time. It does train you in terms of how to communicate effectively. 
uh, it, it's a valuable experience, I think, to teach for at least at least a year or two. Yeah, definitely. Um, in whatever kind of job you go into. And yeah. I hear a lot from people that they, they're not sure about teaching as a valuable skill. And yeah, I would say similar to what John just said, that it is so worth it because not only are you teaching, but you're outside of your comfort zone because you're in a totally new country and you're in their culture and yeah. you're having to figure out how to teach them in a way that makes sense for their culture, which is very valuable. Yes, absolutely. All right, Jess, so what are we going to talk about in this whole thing that we're doing? I think we're going to talk about the benefits of living abroad, even for a a certain amount of time, just getting a taste of it, like France opened your eyes to it and Australia opened my eyes to it. And then the difficulties of working on the road and living on the road and how that ties in as I experienced on the farm, as you've experienced plenty of times. Yeah, I'm with you. And and I think it's, I I think it's a useful thing to share with people because like we've struggled to maintain contact because we're both in flux and moving around so much and don't have internet access in some places. And I think for a lot of people who are living abroad or a lot of people that are trying to move abroad or are just curious about how the rest of the world works, it's useful to be able to hear other people's experiences and participate in other people's experiences. Because when you step into a new place, you really are isolated. <laughs> like You really uh, lose your entire community. And the only way to maintain the community that you had is to like kind of crawl into your phone and crawl into like social networks, which isn't a particularly healthy response to it. Right. And so, yeah, I, I think definitely sharing our struggles with work and life, living abroad, and the also the value that it brings is a big thing for me and, too. And sharing a little bit of our mindset around how we made the decisions we did to get there, because that's always something I wonder when I see people who have decided to make it an entire lifestyle, or or that people yeah. ask me a lot, well, why did you decide Korea? And just some of the what we talked about before, but how we decided to continue down the path of being a being abroad and right and yeah and definitely and to talk about some of the different mindsets because you see some of these like travel bloggers that are just traveling full-time for like a decade and i think a lot of people would wonder and they're just like what are you doing and why are you doing it and i think like we've definitely met some people like that and we have a very different perspective on the reason to be abroad and the value of travel and things like that and so i think yeah talking about some of those perspectives is definitely valuable The, the thing that I always like talking to you about and the underpinning of what I've always thought our relationship was, was talking about self-improvement and right. like skill development, trying to be active and push yourself, you know, because I always go back to the people that I knew back home in Los Angeles. And so many of them just kind of sit on their hands and don't do anything. Not, 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 not everybody, obviously. I know quite a few industrious people and whatnot. Yeah. I know a lot of people that are kind of are successful and everything. I'm not saying that everybody I know is terrible, but... <laughs> Like so many people that I knew in high school, so many people that I've seen, they wanted to get their degree because they needed to get a degree. They didn't want to get a degree because they wanted to develop themselves or learn or be better or be able to do things. They wanted to get a job so they could make some money and have a nice life, not so that they could produce value and be helpful to people and again, just improve themselves. And and so I think talking to you about these things is always the best because you more than anybody else I know are working continuously on improving yourself in various ways and think about it in a very intentional way which I always find valuable and reinforcing because it's hard to really push yourself to improve on things when you don't have anybody to talk to about it and you don't have anybody else who's doing the same thing you talk to other people and they're like yeah I went out to the bars last night and it was great fun and you're like great I 
sat at home or at a cafe. I learned Spanish I was, or something. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was I was studying. I was working on my HTML. Like, thanks, man. Um, glad you enjoyed your pints. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I, I'm I'm really looking forward to being able to actually talk to you about these things again. Yeah, and I think the reason that it goes so well with international is, at least for me, and I think for you as well, that kind of started the entire wow, I have so much to learn and so much that, yes, I just graduated from college or I have a college education, but I still have so much that I could be working on that if I just decided a few things that are really crucial to me developing and started working on them all the time and then actually had someone to talk to about it, not to mention put in some kind of accountability structure for myself, it would be amazing the amount of results I could get. I just need to start working on it. And that's kind of what... Korea was for me, and I know you had it before then, but that was how we kind of came together on parts of it. Yeah, no, no, that's absolutely right. It it is the the active, the moving hand kind of concept. It's and and it's great to be able to share that with people because trying to do it by yourself it gets frustrating. Whenever you, I mean, you always hit bumps in anything that you're doing, and it, trying to do something when you're hitting a bump by yourself is just demoralizing, and it's easy to get off track and get off the rails and so that's yeah. when you need some support and it, yeah it's hard to keep going exactly. without it yes and just i mean learning from each other because fundamentally it's hard to teach yourself something so if you have somebody to talk to who has some experience or who has been thinking about it and they can share some of their ideas they can help to shape your path they can help to shape your thinking on it that is also invaluable just to um, get you so. out of your own head sometimes exactly All right, so I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about moving to a new place. All right. And especially a new country, but really just any new place where you don't have a built-in network. You don't have a contact. You don't have any experience. In my book, I feel like I almost moved to another new country because it doesn't feel like the United States. <laughs> down in Miami? Just completely doesn't, different. Yeah, okay. it's different. <laughs> I've only ever spent one night down there, so I, I don't even I don't know the place at all. What's What's so different about Miami from, like, because you were already in the South, down in North Carolina. I mean, I guess obviously it's a very different it's, South. It's but. different because it's like the rest of Florida, you get outside of Miami, Fort Lauderdale, and it's like you're in the South again. But you go into Miami right. and it's like you're kind of in the biggest city in Central South America is what it feels like. And that's what a lot of people joke okay. about. And I know that that's not, right. that's not accurate because there is English everywhere, but I predominantly hear Spanish. So it's just... Like that culture, the Latin culture is so dominant in Miami that yeah. you kind of still have to get used to like, you, you don't handshake, you do the kiss on the cheek and you just have to get used mm. to some of that. But that is the culture of this city. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's definitely true that a lot of people in the rest of the country would be kind of surprised by the culture because it's the same thing in Los Angeles. When I have other friends that have come visit me in Los Angeles, like they're always somewhat taken aback by how hispanic everything is mm. like just you hear spanish everywhere you hear spanish music you like there's mexican food everywhere it's just just part of it and it was always part of everything when i was growing up so that's just very normal to me it was very like america to me but no i could see how somebody not from that sort of thing would just be completely taken aback. yeah and i think it's also that like when i've gone to la i always have there's a lot of asian influence as well yeah true. But when you go to miami it's for the most part, like their foods are from every every country in South America, and you see a little bit of like more Hispanic influence, but for the most part, it's like South American influence, which is something that I didn't realize, right. and now I'm realizing. Okay, Mexico 
is more on the LA side. Sure. Well, a little bit more than Miami for sure, but Oh, well definitely. Well, and I mean LA is dominated by Mexicans. It's not dominated by, you know, Cubans or Venezuelans. So it's like obviously it's, it's there are significantly different de- demographics involved. Also, you're right that L.A. has an influx, not just of Asian people, but of people from the rest of the United States. Like, tons of people move to L.A. from all over the country all the time. Like, Orange County is swamped by people from the Midwest. And I have a feeling that Miami's not the same way, where it's really, you don't have many people moving down there from the rest of the country, really. No, and that's something that a lot of the contacts I have made since moving to Miami have brought up, especially the ones who are from Miami and want to help Miami change and shape itself into a city that is really known for something because right now it's just hospitality Mm. and they are sometimes frustrated by the lack of Miami moving in that kind of direction to like LA has its thing in movies and New York has a lot of different things going on and Miami has so much potential but no one's moving down because there's not one thing and there's not like enough opportunities there. Yeah, it's not it's not the go to it's not the go to place for any particular thing. Although you know, I was fascinated whenever I talk to Europeans. Um, it's crazy to me. Like when I lived in France, people from France when they would visit the U.S., there would be like three or four places they would go. It would always be New York, Miami, oh. Vegas. Oh, those were the three. Like it was it was very strange to me because I was like, who who is going to these places? I always had the impression that everybody wanted to go to San Francisco and New York and things like that. You know what I mean? Like. I never heard, oh, Miami. Miami's the place to go. But every European I talk to, it's like, oh, I, yeah, I've been to the States. I've been to Miami. That's the only place that they go to. Now, maybe it's just cheap flights or something. I, I don't quite understand. But it, it really is a much more international city than any of the other cities, major cities I think cities it's just US, location, so. too. Like, its location is so close to the Caribbean and Central America. Like, I can get to any of them in a pretty quick plane ride. And I know that's true for a lot of places, too. But we're just so close. And then... Across the way, I think it's also a port city. So in port export, you're going to have more of that going on. Yeah, and it's not far from Europe. Like if you're flying out from Spain, it takes about the same time to get there as to get to the East Coast or the Northeast. So it's it's not far. Yeah. Have you had any struggles or difficulties? Because me moving out here to Ireland, like I've been loving Dublin. Like I came from L.A. and then, well, I came from New York. And before that, I was in L.A. and it was just so hot. It was just incredibly hot back home. And I came out here and it was it was beautiful. It was comfortable. It was wonderful. Like I avoided so the entirety of the sweltering. Not like the super hot weather. <laughs> like who really does that? Who's like, oh I'm yeah, I really want to <laughs> Yeah, it's true. You you went the other direction with that. I, I feel for you. I feel for you. It's that's Yeah, tough. I moved there in June too, which was real smart of me. Yeah, that was that was brilliant. It was brutal. <laughs> I mean, I'm about I'm about to face the winter here. You know, sundown at like 3:30 in the afternoon. You know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be rough. Oh. But it was I was so happy to get out here in September when California was just on fire and this is beautiful and chilly and cool and wonderful. But it's been really tough coming out here and not knowing anyone, right? So I moved out here with my girlfriend. She's from here, so I've met her family and things, which was great. She has an enormous family. <laughs> but other than her. I only know like three other Irish people and none of them are in Dublin where I'm living. And so I came here and started looking for a job and just had no one to talk to, no one to get advice from, no one. And and my girlfriend's a teacher, so she's not exactly in the private sector business world. You know what I mean? We're operating in completely different worlds. And it's strange 
because it's just like running into a wall. You just, you you end up going into, especially a city that's, I mean, the city feels smaller than other places I've lived. Like I've lived in LA, I've lived in Paris, lived in Beijing. Yeah. Like those are very large places, you know what I mean? And Dublin's not a tiny place. It's a million and a half people, but it's still the circles of people going to like networking events and things are small enough. The number of companies is small enough. A lot of people have met each other. A lot of people have seen each other. Um, it's, it's a very different vibe and feel than anything I've ever dealt with. Um, just even dealing with Irish culture. Like it's more different than the States than I thought it would be in terms of the culture and the interactions and the norms. And especially the first month or so, it just was like trying to meet people, have any sort of contacts. And it's like, I, I, it was, it was just tough. It was really tough. So what did you, what did you do when you first got there? What was your kind of strategy? And you're also working on, I need to get a job and get a visa, right? Someone to yeah, sponsor me. Yeah, yeah. I need to get a work to, visa. Yes. To stay in Ireland, so that's a whole different exactly. ball game. But what was your strategy for at least, like, I'm talking to these people to see if they have opportunities and that kind of thing. Right. So the initial idea. So it had several steps, right? The first thing was to figure out what the market was. So I wanted to get in with financial companies, um, and my thought process was. The companies that would be most likely to hire would be non-Irish firms, international firms that are used to dealing with foreigners, used to bringing people over from overseas. And so I was looking at larger financial firms that operate here. So the first step was a lot of research on what companies operate out here, what their uh, footprint is out here, how large they are, what kind of operations they do out here. So just a whole lot of research into what the market had, and then trying to figure out where are these people recruiting? When do they recruit during the year? What kind of events should I go to to meet people from these companies? So it, it started out with a whole lot of research. And then it ended up transforming into just trying to go to any kind of event so that I could meet even like second or third order people. Because when I first arrived, I arrived um, in the middle of August and there were no real events at all in August. There was very little because it's August. Everybody's on vacation, right. you know. Right. It, 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 I understand how so this that's works. The brick Europeans wall. get a lot more yeah. vacation than us. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So, so not only don't I know anyone, but I don't have really much of a mechanism to meet people in the, in the beginning, at least. But after that, I started using a lot of meetups and Eventbrite type events and things and, and just trying to, through word of mouth, hear about other events and things. And I've, you know, now at this point, I've met just a ton of people, but making those deeper connections to where people not only have met you, not only kind of know who you are, but want to help you requires more of a personal relationship you know what i mean and that's hard to force quickly yeah is that something that's a little bit more difficult given the culture well it's it's hard for me to navigate a little bit because the subtleties are what are important here you know what i mean and no one's giving you any kind of benefit of the doubt as a foreigner because they think of you not really as a foreigner with an american accent Right, exactly. Like when I when we were in Korea, they didn't expect us to understand anything because they're like, obviously, they don't know anything about Korea. They're not Korean. But I think Irish people and people generally like I think this applies to Americans as well. When you get other people from English speaking countries, I think you just kind of expect them to be the same as yourselves. Mm, Yeah. And what is acceptable and what is normal to be the same. So I'm sure you ran into this when you were in Australia, where... You, they just expected you to know what was normal. And there were probably some things that were normal that you weren't super sure about or didn't know what to do or didn't do automatically. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, and, and so it's especially difficult for me with this, the whole divide between what's personal and what's professional, because that's always this big gray area yeah. yeah. of like, do you meet people at a networking event and then go get a beer with them? Or do you try to go get coffee with somebody? Is it okay to talk about personal things with people that you met at professional events? Like, how do you, is it okay to bring up like professional things in your job hunt with like personal people that you met at like a kayaking event? Like, (laughs) it's like, you know, those sorts of things that you can navigate much more easily when you have people to ask and people back home. But it's, it's hard when you don't really know. And it's even hard to pose the question, you know what I mean? Because everything's so circumstantial. Right. So it just, you know, that just add this, adds this layer of Right, because it's even, trying to figure it's it even out. more difficult because you're trying, you're like, I could ask this question, but it could backfire and I could lose this contact. And it's a small circle. Everyone runs on small, kind of small circles. So I don't want to burn that bridge. Well, and when you don't know someone very well, like, they're not necessarily going to react honestly. You know what I mean? They're not going to be like, oh, that's kind of inappropriate. They're just going to be like, oh, ha, ha, and then never talk and to you. And then be like, that was you weird know? in uh, their, their head. It, exactly. <laughs> and then and then you've just burned your contact and you didn't even know and you have no exactly. idea. So I've just, just been nervous about these sorts of things. So I started with trying to network and meet people because that's the way that everybody gets jobs everywhere. And I tried doing a lot of research, which was marginally successful. Then I eventually I found some contacts and things that got me in with some companies, but I ended up finding out that a lot of the companies here just won't sponsor people for external hires. They just have general policies against it, unless they're more senior people. I haven't been working in the industry for the last couple of years. I've been, you know, teaching in Asia. So I, I, I'm not applying for senior positions particularly. And so that's, it's just, yeah. So that, that's, as I've been applying for things since then, it's, difficult and I've had to shift my focus to companies that are more open to sponsoring people for external hires um, and, and we'll see how that goes I'm in the process still of figuring that out but you know it is what it yeah. is how has it been for you down in Miami have you faced any particular hurdles yeah when I first and I've told you about this a little bit before but when I first got to Miami it was it was pretty difficult mostly because I had just similar to you gone and taught English and then was on organic farms and just making my overall story speak to me changing positions into more supply chain and account management. And I've done that before. So eventually I figured out how to craft that a little bit better. But also when I got there, I don't know anyone in Miami aside from my best friend who I now live with. And she was super helpful as far as at first she was taking me to all these places but the problem was I was still trying to navigate exactly what opportunity I wanted because Miami is import-export. Miami has all these smaller players. Right. The overall food distribution area, like in Charlotte or in other cities, there are main players. Here it's so fragmented that it was like, okay, there are 50 players over here and there are 50 players over here and I need to figure out if I am interested in any of these and how to talk with them. That is something that I skipped over, but that's, that is a, a, a singularly large difficulty to begin with as well. When you've been out of your kind of regular profession for a while and you've been doing other things, coming back in and knowing exactly what you want to walk into is not an easy thing because you kind of have to base it on what is being offered and what's available and what you can get, but also what you want and what, like, it, it's, it's, 
it's a whole big thing. And, and that alone took so long. I started my search. I got to Miami in June and I ended up taking a contract position for two months when I wasn't in Miami at all. It was all over the place. But for those two right. months before I took the contract position, it was about me networking but also i realized i was networking but i didn't have an, a, a goal like i had many goals but i needed to kind of streamline to one or two right. major things because i was in energy efficiency and now i want to go into like food supply chain so i need to show them why i want to do this and it took me about two months to really work through some of that and figure out okay this makes more sense and it honestly took me taking other jobs, taking this one job in particular, and just realizing some of the things I liked and didn't like. And that got me to realize, okay, this is exactly what I want, and I need to start applying for these opportunities. Right. It helps narrow the focus a lot. Yeah, that, that's been a big difficulty of mine, trying to narrow the focus, because I'm like so limited in terms of what I'm able to get, mm. even in terms of which companies are willing to even sponsor somebody, that it's hard to be like, oh, this is exactly what I'm going to go for. But then maybe you can't actually get that. But if you pursued it, you know, endlessly, perhaps you would be able to get it. And so it's such a hard thing to yeah. narrow your focus and, and actually delve in and get something done. Yeah, yeah. How was, how were like the logistics of moving down there though? Because you, you said you're living with your best friend. Did you know you were going to live with her when you moved yeah, in? Yeah, so that, that was something that definitely played into my decision to move to Miami. There were a couple different okay. things, but overall, like I was coming back from Southeast Asia, traveling a bit across the U.S. to see family and friends. And then I literally took one big suitcase and one backpack and moved down to Miami. And I already knew by talking to her that she had like an extra small room that I could stay in. So that was nice that I didn't have to go through the whole, I'm going to have to move down there and find a place, which is one of the reasons I decided not to go with some of the other cities because I didn't want to have to go through that when I already had an opportunity. It's a good so call, yeah. that made it a lot easier. And then as far as all these other things that you have to think of when you first move to a place, I did do that, but yeah. I did it as soon as I got back to the States. It was this big all right, I need to figure out, I have Google Voice and I've ported my number, I need to get it back to a normal number and just figuring out utilities that's covered with my house and right, banking, right, right. I already had a bank in the US, so that was all easier, I think. So maybe you don't have to tell me what bank you operate with, but it's so it's a fully nationwide one because the bank that I have in Los Angeles that I use for my stuff in the States, it only operates in like the Midwest and West Coast. So it doesn't operate in the East Coast at all. So if I was going to move to New York, they don't operate ah, there. Okay. So I have one that is, is like a small bank that is mostly the Southeast. But then I have another okay. one that's more of an investment bank. So I still have a checking account through it, but it also has my investment sure. portfolio. So that makes right. it easier and they... They don't have physical locations, which means hmm. they'll reimburse the fee because I constantly have to draw money from different ATMs, which is yeah, perfect yeah, yeah. for a broad deal. I'd really suggest it to anyone. <laughs> sure. You, this is this is Charles Schwab, right? I'm no, assuming. this is Fidelity Investments. Fidelity does yeah. this. I didn't. Okay. Okay. I didn't fully. Because I've whenever I've lived abroad, I've always used Charles Schwab because they have the same kind of situation where any ATM fee that you incur with withdrawing anywhere in the world is just reimbursed to you, which is a great thing when you're in Peru and they're charging you $10 to withdraw $30. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, like, man. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad. 
But at one point they were charging like 24 soles, which is 4.50 or $5 and it was a limit you can only withdraw about $100. So you just um, have to keep so yeah. You just have to keep doing it because everything or a lot of things are just cash only. But it's great because you just get reimbursed and so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, so I've I've always used Schwab for investments and for just using money internationally because it also avoids, you know, transferring your money abroad, which is pricey. But yeah, so Fidelity does the same thing. Fidelity that's, that's does the nifty. same thing. It's a little bit tougher with the transferring abroad. I had issues with that in Korea and it could just be Korea and they're really closed with a lot of things with their banking. So right. that was an issue and that's why I opened the SunTrust from abroad but I will probably yeah. open one more that is a more national, like a Capital One or something. That way I have something there that I can always have a main national U.S. bank and then Fidelity can be my other one. Yeah, I've been, I've been thinking about the whole thing because when I was in New York a few months ago, I had to solve something with my bank and I didn't realize that they didn't operate in New York. And then they were like, oh yeah, no, we don't do that. We don't operate in the East Coast. That's not a thing. I was like, oh, thanks guys. I'm, I'm, that's, like, that's wonderful. Really you're excited. like, this is not helpful. Were telling me, I'm not going back. <laughs> right. They were like, you have to go to the bank branch where you open the account. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm moving to Ireland. I'm in New York. I'm not flying back to California. Are you guys insane? This is insanity. They're, they're, they're frustrating, but it's fine. <laughs> you should get a national bank, some kind of, just to keep at least some in there. I, I know. I've been wanting to move. I, see, I've been wanting to do research on it and like move to, to either Chase, probably Chase. Chase is probably the best one from everything I've seen. But um, but I just haven't done the research and now I'm not in the right country to, to handle this sort of thing. I, I wanted to when I was in New York. I just didn't have any time. Because you've also been dealing with, probably with Irish banking things over there. Yeah, well, and that's, that's the whole thing. Like being abroad and dealing with things like phones and like utilities and banking and transportation and all of those sorts of things, getting a flat. Like it's it's just completely different everywhere you go. Like it was great when we were in Korea because they handled everything. Yeah. Except for the phone. So yeah, the phone we kind of had to handle ourselves. But in terms of banking, they set us up with a bank. We got our apartment. Utilities were included in the apartment. It was mind-blowingly easy. When I was in China, it's not so easy. Um, and nobody speaks English. Yeah, it was a frustrating experience. Let me tell you, I stayed in a place for a couple months with like monthly contracts. And then I ended up finding somebody that I roomed with who already had an apartment that they owned, which worked out nicely. But yeah, just a lot of stress about being like, oh, I'm going to be on the street. This is going to be great. That's wonderful. <laughs> you got to find a place. No, I can't talk to anybody. Great. You know, I will say here it's been incredibly easy. Uh, a lot well, of Well, you things. also have a girlfriend who's Irish, so that helps a little bit. It does help that she, she has knowledge of these things. But like setting up a phone, literally I went into a phone store. I already had a phone that I had from China. I paid 20 euro. They gave me a SIM and that gave me $20 worth of prepaid credit and all you can use data for a month. Huh. And then I just had a phone number that, and it was just like... That's what I did in every in every country as I was traveling and working on the farms in Southeast Asia. I would just go in and find a SIM and have that data for usually a month. But often, at least when I was traveling in Asia and when I've traveled in Europe before, the situations were either more expensive or not as good. Not like, as good is definitely fair, yeah. Yeah, I remember I was traveling in Europe after I lived in France and... Just, I tried to use my French sim, wasn't going to work. Just not, just not going to work abroad, essentially, or it was going to be astronomically expensive. And I looked into getting a sim when I was in Italy and was like, oh yeah, you can pay like 20 euro for the sim and then 20 euro for a plan. You can either get an, a year long plan or you can just use call and text, no internet. Or like, oh. it was, it was, uh, that was a while ago though. Like now the plans are much better. And I'm actually impressed with the plan that I have here because it's not even a plan, it's prepaid, but 
I can, not only do I have unlimited data in Ireland, if I go anywhere else in the EU, I have three gigs of data during the month, which is just craziness. So I can go anywhere essentially in the EU and use my phone now, which is drastically better than what it used to be like three or four years ago. The banks, I mean, this this is one of the things with a lot of things like transportation and banking and utilities for that matter, those things always frustrate me because like here banking, you need three documents to to open a bank. You have to have three documents that uh, verify your address, right? Verify where you're living. If you move to a place, it takes three months to get three documents to verify where you're living. You know what I mean? Like you can get gas, internet, and electricity, but our gas bill only comes every two or three months. We don't right. have anything right now. And I'm like, well, I guess I can't open a bank account. Uh, I, it's it's <laughs> yeah. just, it's silliness. I remember when I lived in France, I had to convince them to let me open a bank account because they were like, no, you're a foreigner. You don't have a job. You can't get a bank account. And I'm like, what's wrong with you people? You don't want to take my money? <laughs> exactly. And I, I imagine it's, I don't, I don't know if it's how it is in the States really because I haven't had to do this in a long time. But um, like having to open a bank account, it's so, such an essential thing. And I don't understand why people make it difficult. Why do you have to live in a place to have a bank account? Hey, when I was in Korea and I opened a bank account in the U.S., I had to wake up at like midnight my time and my dad was calling me. He was with the banker in the bank so that it was like a Skype thing where they could see my face. (laughs) It was ridiculous. Uh, Of course it was. It was absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand these things. And, And in terms of car insurance here, so I haven't been able to get on my girlfriend's car insurance. She has a car. I don't yet have a car here. But when I tried to get on to her car insurance, they were essentially like, no, we can't put you on. Um, you have to go get an Irish license. Now, technically, legally, I can drive here for a year with a U.S. license. But until I get a driver's license, they won't really give me insurance. I have to get at least a learner's permit before they'll give right, me insurance. No, I don't think it's the same in the States. No? no like well, if, you if have you to have, have a license driver's license to have insurance. Well, right, but like I can legally drive here for a year with a U.S. license. Right. So like if you can le- legally drive in the States, you can be covered on your license. Also, the way insurance works here is quite different. Like this, this gets a little bit into the weeds, but for a lot of people in the U.S., if you have insurance on your car, anyone can drive your car if they're a legal driver. Here, you have to be like the owner of the car or explicitly put on the car's insurance Uh, to be able to drive it. So other legal drivers can't drive that car. So what do you need, though, to get a license? Do you have to be able to show that you have a job and that you... So I don't have to show that I have a job, but I have to show proof of where I'm living. So again, those utility bills. And then I have to have a social number. There are several things that I need in order to just schedule an appointment to have take the theory test for the driver's license. But you'll have bills eventually, so that will take care of one. But to yeah. get the number, I don't know. No, I, I, I will handle these things. It's, it's, it's frustrating that it's now set me back four, five, six months to get the license. But like, it's fine. You yeah. know what I mean? You deal with it. What I found even more shocking, though, is when my girlfriend talked to insurance companies here, the car insurance company that already insured her, they would offer her car insurance. But the other companies that she looked at, none of them would offer her insurance. They were like, we can't give you insurance. You've been out of the country too long. Oh, wow. That's something that is crazy to me in general about just when you move somewhere after being abroad, it is so much more difficult. And I feel like it really shouldn't be, but it just is <laughs> because they there yeah. are these gaps and people don't really get it because it's not the norm. And you have to explain yeah. and really do your research to figure out how to 
assimilate back into the society you're going to. It's true. When we were living in Korea, I remember we talked about having like investment issues because certain investment companies in the States essentially won't let you invest unless you're in the States. So if you live abroad, they'll make you liquidate all your assets and take them out. Oh, and I was in living in the U.S. for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't know. These sorts of things, they're, such, they're so frustrating. Yeah. But they make the first three to six months more difficult. But you just work through them and then they're not an issue. Right. You know? It's it's just it just adds work to your life. It's not it's not. But the for end of the world. for anyone first moving somewhere or coming back to the country that they were from, those things are something to definitely know that are going to happen and are going to be way more. We talked about this. I visited you in China right before I came back to the states, pretty much. And we were talking about how difficult yeah. it would probably be, but that we had also experienced this before, so it shouldn't be that bad. But for me, True. it was it was difficult in the fact that I just didn't realize all these little things are going to be such a big headache. When Korea, I anticipate that. The States, the country I'm from, I didn't anticipate that as much. True. and it, But it, I mean, it also, it does make you much more aware of the systems that surround your life. You yes. know what I mean? Like these things that you don't think about, about how like mobile phones work, about how your banking system works. Like you, you will start to understand them a lot better when you have to deal with different to. kinds of systems. Yes. And it's so I, I, yeah, I think everyone should have a little more sympathy for the friends of theirs who have moved in from other countries and things. The hurdles that they have to jump through. Like, I don't think people in the States, we, there's always this heated argument around immigration. I don't think people understand the incredible difficulties of somebody even legally immigrating what they have to deal with in terms of these sorts of issues. Like it's, it's, it's overly complicated and problematic, yeah. but definitely how is your spanish going how is your other development stuff going my other development stuff i have my own website and writing blog thing going on and then i have spanish and spanish is going pretty well i have not been as diligent as i've wanted to be with continuously every day doing the cards but what I realized is the minute I started actually speaking and starting doing some some tutoring and things like that, because I'm not taking a class, right. I was all over, so I just was doing a little bit of italki, because I felt like yeah, yeah, yeah. even people I knew, I had a hard time starting to talk to them. So if it was a stranger, I didn't really care. So I started talking that way, and now I've just been taking those conversations and putting them into the cards, and that's been helping because right. I can continuously build. So I need to go back. That is really I good. I need to go back yeah. to what you have, the list, and continue working through that, but it's been really helpful because... I remember it already, and then I put it in the card, and it's like, all right, it's cemented. Last time I was tutored by someone, they said, you need work on like the grammar and the overall structure of the, the verbs and the conjugations, but already yeah, sure. you know way more words than I expected you to know, being that you're not that great at speaking yet, pretty much. <laughs> well, and, and your tutoring, uh, italki is an online tutoring thing yeah. for anybody that doesn't know what yeah. It's, you go online, you pay relatively small amounts, and you get direct one-on-one -on -one kind of tutoring. You can. There are other things that they offer. But yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Because this is definitely something that I've realized when I was traveling in Peru last summer. Mm -hmm. We already know lots of words. Like The way we went about learning Spanish is we started with a frequency dictionary, and we started with studying the words on this frequency dictionary through a space repetition system. So we started with ear training to develop our pronunciation and then learning vocabulary the most common words first and so we 
both learned, I don't know how many you've learned at this point, but I've done like 5,000 cards or Dang. so. Um, 5,000 Spanish cards. And I so I've learned, I would say about two-thirds of those are vocabulary or pronunciation, and one-third of those are like grammar and sentences. Okay. And so I would say I've probably learned, I don't know, 1,500 words, 1,600 words, which is far more than you need to be basically proficient at the language, right? Right. Um, and so I think you've learned a, a ton of words too. And it's the kind of thing where even if you know a lot of words, it doesn't help you a lot until you can utilize them effectively, right? Yeah. Until you can use them in the moment. Um, and the way you do that is you just use them more. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> you practice putting them together. You practice like reading, listening to things, speaking. Like that, that's where you get it. And yeah, I, I'm completely with you. Like we have enough of the fundamentals that we can start to understand things and start to communicate things. The difficulty is actually going through the process of doing that. Yeah, you won't you won't understand where your gaps are until you start using them. Because both through speaking, through watching Narcos, and through reading children's books now, I'm like, all right, here are all my <laughs> gaps. Basically, it's the grammar. Because I understand the words and I understand the overall concept of what is going on right. when reading, for sure. And then yeah. when I hear people in Miami, I understand what they're talking about, but I don't understand exactly what the point is. I still miss sure. that part. You develop nuance with more usage, which is, yeah, like, that's the whole thing. Like, learning a word, even if you understand the bulk of what the word means, you don't understand all the intricacies and how it relates to everything else and how it's used in idiomatic phrases and things like that. Have you done a lot in terms of, like, how have you gone about learning concepts beyond just the raw data you know what I mean that's something that I'm still working on because when I thought about prioritizing my entire workload when I first got to Miami it was yeah okay the job and then I'm gonna keep doing Spanish but a little bit and that was kind of put on the back burner while I was working on the website too so I kept up with actually learning words and I started adding in set some sentences from Spanish Dick because a lot of times the words that were really important to learn were ones that didn't have any concrete picture for them. So I just started putting mm. some sentences. And so now I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. I kind of understand the flow of it. And so that is getting easier. Call. But until I started, and I've only been speaking on italki for maybe two months. And that really was prompted mm. by, you'll probably think this is kind of cool. There's a study by Queen's University. They saw people who had gotten onto italki but had never used it. And they wanted to see how much they would improve over a certain amount of time. So they said, we'll give you sure. a certain amount of money back if you complete this many hours at least and take an oral study at the beginning and at the end. Oh, and wow. I was like, sure, that's perfect. I need accountability and you can be my accountability. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me about this? This sounds great. Have you used it before? Yeah. Well, I think that's why. Because I was on it. Oh, it's only people that haven't used it? I have never it? used uh, it. So they were like, you're obviously okay. a beginner. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. Because yeah, they that makes needed sense. someone who would still be, like, who would place on beginner. If you didn't place on very basic beginner, they couldn't use hmm. you. Ah, uh, no, that makes yeah. sense. That's good, though. That, that's nice. I, I'm glad that you see the improvement from it because I think a lot of people don't recognize how quickly you can improve once you're utilizing language because you have all of the foundations you need. You just need to utilize it. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's good stuff. And I've even noticed back to our English teaching days, talking to certain tutors, the ones who make you right. speak all the time, that's where yeah. I get the return. 
the other one, it's like, right. I'm learning a lot by listening and I understand most of what she's saying now, but this guy's making me speak and I come away and I'm just like, wow, I actually know how to say things in Spanish. <laughs> That's one of the keys that I think people also don't recognize in terms of language learning or really learning of anything, that everything is a bundle of skills, you know what I mean? And language involves listening, reading, writing, and speaking. Right. And being able to do one of those well, like listening, does not necessarily mean that you're going to be good at speaking. Those are different skills that both need practice. And yeah, they're related and yeah, they'll like reinforce each other, but they won't replace each other. No. So if you only watch TV or listen to the radio in Spanish, you're never going to get good at speaking. And that's why, I mean, so many of the people I grew up with were the children of immigrants. And a lot of them could understand Vietnamese or understand Chinese or understand Spanish, yeah. but they couldn't really speak it properly. And it was because they never used it. They never spoke it in their family. They were like the third or fourth child. They, you know, heard it all the time. And their older siblings could speak it because when their parents first got there, they could only speak their native language. But by the time they were born, their older siblings spoke to them in English. Their parents understood enough that they could respond to them. And so they just never practiced actually speaking. Hey, that's exactly how it is for my boyfriend and his family. I went over there and they're speaking in Vietnamese. And he's like, yep, yep, I understand. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is right, this exactly. Is, and then she'll like translate for me. It's really funny. But I mean, you, you see this so often when you live in a community with a lot of immigrants that, you know, that sort of thing happens. And it's because people aren't practicing certain things. Yeah. And even for just like a kid in high school, when you're looking at it and you're saying, you want to be good at writing. Yeah, reading is important, thinking well is important, but also actually writing is invaluable. Like you need to actually do that thing if you want to be good at it. And I don't think people appreciate that concept enough in, in terms of education. Yeah, you just have to think more long term with it. Not necessarily that it's going to take you forever to learn something, but that you have to continually practice it every day. And over time, it will compound and you will start to really have more mastery at the skill. Yeah, absolutely. It allows it to grow more effectively. Yeah, for sure. Your skills increase effectively. Have I told you about Tatueba? I, I did, right? And I showed you like my sentence list and stuff? Yes, I'm not sure. I, I okay. think so. Th Where do you say so, it's Tatoeba? is essentially a database of sentences. Oh, it's in the flowchart, but it's not. Okay. So so there are several resources that we use online. Italki is like a tutoring service. We use Anki, which is an app that does the space repetition flashcards. That's, that's the kind of cornerstone of the whole thing as far as I'm concerned. But then beyond that, there are two like resource sites that... I've used a lot in terms of language study in a lot of languages, and they are forvo.com and tatueba. It's tatueba.org. Okay. And forvo.com has lots and lots of words, millions of words in a bunch of different languages and recordings of those words. So if you want to practice the, and actually get proper pronunciation from native speakers, this website has tons of individual words with native speakers saying them. Uh, they have some phrases, but it's mostly individual words. If you go on tatueba.org, they have, instead of individual words, they have sentences also created by native speakers. Mm. Not all of them are recorded. Actually, only a relatively small percentage of them are recorded. But that's still thousands and thousands of sentences in lots of different languages that are recorded. So what I've done is when I make sentence cards, when I make grammar cards, I want to get the flow, especially if you're studying a language uh, like French, where different words in the sentence change pronunciation based on other words, like they relate to each other. Mm. Studying individual words is not as useful, so I use this to get the whole sentence, and you can download a whole recording of the sentence. So what I do is, if there's a certain word I've wanted to learn, and like you said, a lot of words don't do well in picture form, 
what you can do is you can search for that word in Tatueva, pull up a whole bunch of sentences with that word, and you can then you use these sentences with recordings to learn that word, learn other words in context, and learn grammar. Okay. And it's especially useful because when you like put in a verb or something, you'll often get a whole lot of different conjugations for that verb. So you can say, oh, okay, this is a weird conjugation of it, or this is, I want to practice the future tense, so I'm going to take only, I'm going to look at these 10 verbs that I want to learn, but I'm going to learn them in the future tense. Oh, okay. Um, and so, because most verbs are regular, if you learn a few verbs in the future tense, you kind of have a feel for the future. You know what I mean? And you can kind of make most of your verbs fit into that. Right. I mean, obviously, you still have to learn irregulars separately, but like I found it a very useful way to pick up grammar and just have recordings, native recordings of sentences, because the, the whole flow and cadence of a language is a, is a different thing. And it also works in, in terms of italki if you want to uh, like record the yeah, calls. Yeah, that's what I'm doing now. It's going to be nice. Yeah, that's really useful because then if they write out a sentence or you write out a sentence that they said and you have the recording of what they said, then you can immediately make a flashcards from that. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 essential that you get into using sentences. And so yeah, I'm I'm excited to hear about your progress. We should really have a call at some point and just speak Spanish. <laughs> I'm not there quite yet, but I'm down to do it like soon once I finish my italki things. Because I've been doing a lot of listening on italki. I realized through the one tutor, and now I'm speaking a lot. But I still okay. just getting more on some of the starting points of sentences because I struggle a lot with them still. Like how to start a sentence? Yeah, a lot of times I struggle. Okay. And I think I just need to do more studying. Okay. Yeah, no, I can understand that. The start of a sentence is always the most important thing because if you have a feel for it, it just flows into the rest of it. Right. All right. Cool. I'm glad to hear you're progressing. <laughs> it's taken a while, but now being in Miami, there's a lot of motivation around me everywhere. So that makes it a little bit easier. Well, and it's it's so much easier to be to push yourself when you're in a location where you can actually use something. Like when I was learning Spanish and I was in China, I was like, oh, man. This is, this is a hard thing because I knew I wasn't going to stay in China, right? So I didn't want to study Chinese because I didn't think Chinese was very useful and it's really hard and I was never going to want to go live in China again. So I'm like, I want to get good at Spanish, but I'm in China. Oh my God. It's such a, such a, not demoralizing, but it's like, you really have to be pushing yourself because everybody around you is like, why the hell are you doing this? Well, yeah. Like, shouldn't you be I studying I started Mandarin? trying to learn Spanish when I was going to the different farms in different countries, but each time I was having to learn the basics there just to kind of get by. Right, So right. it was like, what am I doing? Why don't I just wait a little bit? But I didn't want to because I wanted to keep making the cards. It just ended up being a little bit too hard on the road. So now I'm fully into it and slowly progressing, so... I'm happy with it so far. It's not slowly. It's much faster than most people would be. But anyway. But I just, I feel like it should be faster, but that's just me needing to change my expectations that it might take longer than I'm thinking. As soon as you get yourself to where you're using it every day in the streets, or you have some friends that you try to only speak to in Spanish, you'll accelerate much faster. Yeah, you know? yeah. so italki is the first yeah. step to me actually starting these conversations. I'm going to tell my roommate to only speak to me in Spanish. He's Ecuadorian, so that shouldn't be that hard. Oh, perfect. <laughs> it's, that's, that's a perfect setup, yeah. That's, that's ideal. Uh, you want to wrap this up? Sure. What no is right. our wrap-up? <laughs> <laughs> no wrap-up. All right. Tie it with a bow. <laughs> See you, yeah, exactly. See you next have a good week one. at the same time. Yeah, I'll talk to All you next right. week. Bye. Okay.